Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sam Talks Telehealth. This is my first podcast. I'm super excited to be here with Slice of Healthcare. And for my very first podcast, actually taking the time to think what matters in healthcare, I thought about patients. And so I am honored and blessed that Stacy Hurt, a patient consultant, is here with me on my first podcast. Now, she has an incredible story, and we've been fortunate enough to meet through the internet, crazy as that may be. So welcome, Stacy, and go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, hi, Sam. This is just amazing to be your first guest. I am so grateful that you had the empathy to to value patients in this space and, and ask me uh, to be with you today. So I am a stage four colorectal cancer survivor. I just hit five years cancer-free in October, 2020, yay. And I turned 50 in September, a month before. So uh, a couple big milestones I hit that I never thought I would. So uh, that was amazing. Uh, I also am mom to a our 15-year-old intellectually and developmentally disabled son, Emmett, uh, and very proud of what he accomplishes every day, proud to be his full-time caregiver. And uh, in 2020, I was asked to join the HIMSS Digital Influencer Group as uh, to represent the patient voice, patient and caregiver voice. And through that, I've had amazing opportunities to connect with incredible people like you. So... <laughs> And, and to talk about how digital health innovations directly impact patients' lives. That's been a real joy for me. Yeah. And I have absolutely loved, you know, we met on, met quote unquote on Twitter. I love the pictures you post with Emmett. Um, also like, yeah, turning 50 and being cancer free. I mean, like you, you really are such an inspiration to me and, and what's been so incredible is having, you know, as a hymns influencer, that's how I found you and saw who you are, but then have gotten to know you. And we have, uh, we're pretty direct. Uh, sometimes, sometimes there's some curse words can fly. So earmuffs, if you have a child around, just Stacy and I can get a bit passionate, um, about sure. our different topics, but definitely true. what's so fun is your directness. And that was also a reason I wanted you on my first podcast. So we're talking telehealth and Stacey, what, before the pandemic, how was your access to telehealth? You mean none? You mean zero? <laughs> you mean lack of? Uh, so my biggest need for telehealth was around my son. And when Emma was diagnosed, we, we had visits with no less than 60 different specialists, six, zero. And we stopped counting at 60. There were more. So, you know, he, he is so involved with his chromosome disorder that multiple systems are affected. So that equates to multiple specialist appointments. And Emmett does not walk or even stand up or, you know, have any power over that. So we have to literally lift him into his wheelchair and lift him, you know, into our accessible van and things like that. Not to mention the fact that he is immunosuppressed as well. So all these different appointments, you know, some of them are ordering tests. Some of them are getting test results. Some of them are sort of routine follow-ups. And so the whole time I'm sort of looking to try to streamline my life. I was also, you know, when he was diagnosed, I was working full time. And, and so I would ask, you know, for different appointments, I would ask the specialist, can we do this via computer? 
can we do this like via telehealth? No, no, we're not set up for that. Can't do it. No, can't do it. And I'm like, it seems pretty easy to me that we could just do this, you know, via computer. And I was routinely told, nope, nope, not set up for that. So like I said, he was diagnosed in 2006 until now. And I've been asking for this for 15 years. And that's the response that I got. Then I got sick. And again, it was some routine follow-ups with my oncologist. Sometimes I was so sick in bed from chemo and side effects. And I would just be like, you know what, if I could just dial in to tell my aunt how I'm doing or dial into my nurse and tell her what I need, that would be a heck of a lot easier. And again, I was like, nope, nope, not set up for that. Nope, can't do that. So I've been told multiple times no. And to finally in 2020, hmm, after 15 years, in a couple months, those innovations accelerated to, boy, now we can do that. It was, uh, wow. Quite a quite an accomplishment. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, I've been in this space for 11 years and there had been so many times I'd talked with doctors about, hey, let's get this going. I can think of oncology was always an example for me because I thought, wait a minute, there's two components that I always think about. One is all those multidisciplinary appointments that you have to have, not only in oncology, but that you have for Emmett. And those people are never in the same place at the same time. So in fact, that means you as the patient have to move around, which always infuriated me. And I was like, come on, everybody, can't we do it? And you know, there was all these excuses and I didn't really most of them, if I looked at, I'm not a clinician, but understanding clinically what they needed to do. I was like, it's not a clinical problem. It's a whatever other problem. And your story with Emmett really reminds me of, um, I worked with a plastic surgeon. And so a portion of his practice was wound complex wound. And one of the first wound video visits he did, this is totally pre pandemic because he was innovative enough. And actually he was an older doc who sucked with technology. He actually had like a broken iPhone. It was a total disaster. And we would go and show him how to do it, but you know, he figured it out. And he said, you know, I've got this patient. I think he's going to be a great fit. And I was like, okay, cool. And we end up getting my coordinator goes down there and she said, yeah, I just had to help get the patient connected. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, oh, he's a paraplegic. And I was like, oh, how did that go? Like helping him, you know, get connected. And she goes, actually, it was super easy. We just talked through on the telephone first, audio only, how to download the app, told him where to press it. And she's like, and actually he could do everything. And she said, and the thing is, is someone's always going to say, oh, the paraplegic person can't do it, right? There's always going to be some reason, some excuse why someone can't do it. But in fact, they did do it. And they also, um, they did coordinate when um, a home health nurse was there so she could look at the wound and do some wound braiding. But what we talked about later and what the entire clinic staff said was, do you know what a relief and burden this is? Because he has to be picked up out of bed, be put into the wheelchair, picked up into the van, taken out of the van, put up onto an exam table, done the appointment and then everything in reverse. And his wound appointment was literally like 15 minutes. So I think about that for you with Emmett and it's just unbelievable. Now tell me how have your interactions pandemic wise been with the power of telehealth, whether it's phone, email, what have you been doing video? What different things have you used? 
So, you know, I'm very fortunate that I can afford internet access. And, you know, that's another topic that we talk about. I'm, I'm a member of the Telemed Now Thought Advisory Committee. We have tweet chats, you know, first and, and third Wednesdays of the month. And so I, I'm very lucky that I have internet access, I have computer access, I can afford a computer. So, you know, we can do things uh, via, you know, with visual means as well as audio means. Some patients aren't that lucky. And so we definitely need the telephone to remain in place, telephonic telehealth to remain in place for those patients less fortunate. Um, so Emmett had a genetics appointment recently and genetics appointments can go a couple hours because of very comprehensive you know, history gathering and, and things like that. So we did it via telehealth and it was awesome. And, and we met with the genetics counselor ahead of time who gathered uh, the history information. Uh, and then we met with the geneticist who, what she did, what did she do? She recommended a full panel of blood work that thank goodness I didn't travel down to Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh <laughs> and wait three hours for just for her to tell me, hey, we're going to order some blood work. So that was a tremendous relief. And especially in COVID when the virus is out there to protect me, this was before I was vaccinated, to protect me from the virus, to protect Emmett from the virus, um, as well as the other thing I want to mention is Emmett can get motion sick as well as part of his condition. So we're minimizing that um, as well. So those are, you know, and I could go on with other experiences. We had a neurology appointment that was much the same way that, uh, that minimized the travel and, and Emmett doesn't have the concept of understanding to wait. So a lot of the times you're waiting for the physician and we still wait, you know, via telehealth, but at least we're waiting in the comfort of our own home. So that's good. So, um, it's just, it's just been so much more convenient and, and patients heal better when they're in the home. They're more comfortable in their home, especially Emmett. Emmett has all of his supports here at home. He feels most comfortable. He also has sensory difficulties. That's difficult in a waiting room situation. Um, so it, it's, it's just been such, such a blessing. Um, and, and we're not going to let it go away. I'm absolutely, that's why I'm part of Telemed now. We're not going to let it go away. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I really do think about that stress reduction. So you're talking about some of the convenience factors, you know, in terms of, you know, heal better in your home. He gets impatient. I also think about like when he's having a hard day, if he's having a terrible day and you're like, dude, we got to go to appointment. There's no, there's no filter there. And you're just caught in trying to manage that as best you can. And so I also think about the stress for you the stress for the caregivers and the reduction in that. And not just about the time, but the, but the relief and stress relief. And so again, it's like, come on. So we're not going to let this go. But what I do know is I'm seeing those darn stats go from 80% to 20%. And I literally had a potential client tell me the other day that their medical director of their department flat out told everyone do not bring, do not do telehealth unless they insist because we make more money when they come in in person, which for everyone listening to this podcast is not exactly accurate, which I also explained to her. And I was like, okay, that's also bad press. Everybody, we need to clarify these things. Um, and so literally the doctors, they said, we're on RVUs. We lost enough money in 2020. Just bring everybody back again. 
that's not a true ROI. We could start, this is not the topic of this podcast, but more importantly, what's happening is these physician leaders are saying, cut it off. What have you found so far? Are you already getting some of that resistance to come back in? That's so funny you bring that up, Sam, because I just, we have a whole email thread with the telemed now advisory committee, and I am getting tons of messages from patients that are getting pushback that previously they were doing telehealth appointments. These are, these are cancer patients. These are patients with chronic illnesses. These are very sick, very beaten down patients that telehealth totally enhanced their care. All the things that I said made it better, made it more convenient um, because of their disease severity, uh, kept them at home to heal. So I'm getting a ton of messages and I reached out to my colleagues and said, you got to help me here because patients are scared and patients are getting pushback. Um, And there is no, I mean, we're, we're through the PHE, which is through the end of the year. And I'm also getting reports. It's going to be extended. So I almost felt like there was this like fictitious, almost May 1st deadline where, you know, they felt like the need to clamp down on it. And it was exactly what you said. It was the financial pressures on the providers to sort of force back for face-to-face visits. Um, so as of right now, as we sit here recording this podcast, telehealth is still in place as much as ever. It's not going away. So I got to urge my patient friends to push back, advocate for yourself and tell them, no, I still am. I still am entitled to, I still have the right to a telehealth visit at least through the end of the year. Um, and so, and and I want to make another important point. I'm not sitting here saying that all visits should be telehealth, telehealth. I'm still a big advocate for face-to-face visits in the appropriate you know, situation. I mean, if you have a condition that needs seen and needs, you know, if you have a lump that needs felt, you can only do that in a face-to-face visit. And I get that. I just want to advocate for face-to-face visits to, re- or I'm sorry, for telehealth visits to remain as an option for patients. They should always be an option and patients should always have the right to ask for them as an option and not feel bad about it. Uh, I mean, I get that last year screenings were down 90%, elective procedures were down 90%. I know that our health systems are decimated right now financially and I get that, but one thing has nothing to do with the other. Patient care, patient experience, patient centricity is completely enhanced by a telehealth visit. And that needs to remain as an option for patients and caregivers. Absolutely. I won't, I won't stand for anything else. (laughs) Amen. And that's, that is the thing you said it right. Patients should be allowed to be given the choice without feeling bad. And in fact, I will go even one step. They should be offered the choice not just have to ask for the choice and hope that the person who happens to be scheduling feels like doing it. They should be offered. Every single time it should be offered, people should know this tool, email, text, video, this tool works with this kind of appointment and it should be automatic. I mean, right, let's get to that because during the pandemic showed it's possible. And so the finances of it, I'm with you as of the time of this podcast recording, Everything is still active. There are plenty of ways to have a very um, budget neutral, which is what administrators like to hear, budget neutral ROI. And so this fallacy 
of that. We get paid so much less. There's no money in it. It's not true. And it, and a lot of it wasn't true pre pandemic, depending on how you did it. So I appreciate you continuing to advocate for the patients and p- continuing to talk about that. And, you know, I will too, from my side, but I think that, you know, really to, summarize what we've done in our short get together here, which is what we like on this slice of healthcare. We keep it quick and brief so that people can pop in and out and hear it is patients deserve the choice. And if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's shown us the clinical viability. And for people to now come back and say, oh, I don't know, it's so hard. Where does that even come from? So for you, uh, going into we're 2021, right? We're already in April. We've got, um, yeah, we've, we, it appears we've got the public health emergency for all of 2021, still waiting official, but that appears to be the case. What would your advice be when a patient calls their clinic that they had had telehealth before, and now all of a sudden there's some reason they have to come in in person. How do you, how do you advise people to have that conversation? I think you have to get it back to the care. I think you have to get it back to the patient saying, this is why this visit worked for me. Um, You know, I have cancer. I'm experiencing these side effects. Uh, I'm too sick to come into the office. Maybe I haven't been vaccinated yet. I am severely immunosuppressed. You know, all the reasons why maybe a face-to-face visit isn't ideal for that patient at that time. Um, So I think you just, it has to come from the patient themselves. And a lot of times, unfortunately, patients don't know what they don't know. And part of our responsibility as advocates, as leaders, is to close these gaps of health literacy. And part of that, like you said, Sam, is we need to know from the health systems what visits are ideal for telehealth. You know, you could do this via telehealth, you know, and that has to come from, because that shows the confidence that shows the collaboration of the care of being partners in care. And, you know, patients don't, like you said, they don't know to ask for that, to say, is this an option? Let's you're getting these test results and they were negative. And let's just talk about that via telehealth instead of dragging you in here to wait for three hours to expose yourself to a potential virus. So, um, you know, patients, I'm going to tell you, you got to stand strong on this. I'm with you hundred um, percent. And you got to stand up for yourself and say why this works for you and anything else isn't acceptable. And um, I'm, I'm here to fight for you all the way. You got, you got Stacy in your corner and lucky, lucky for them. So Stacy, this is perfect. This is exactly it. You're here to fight for them. I'm here to fight for them and bringing it back to why it worked for them. Stacy, my friend, my new friend, Thank you so much for coming on my first podcast. I appreciate it so, so much. And I look forward to when we can actually meet in person. That will be epic. Sam, thank (laughs) you for having me. Thanks for all the work you do. Thank you so much.